So Walter Koenig actually started throwing together a script before the casting thing happened, which I feel is important for context, because it means they hadn't yet decided to axe him from the cast. In fact, they probably hadn't decided to bring on uh, George Takei or James Doohan or Nichelle Nichols yet at this point in time, when he was writing the script for this episode and putting it together and jotting it down, yada, yada, yada. What's interesting about this is a lot of people apparently liked his script, and it was passed around, and people were like, yeah, this is good stuff. We need to get him in here. In fact, later on, they would offer Walter Koenig to come back and do more scripts for them because they were so impressed by the script. Now, this episode is not what I would call good, <laughs> personally. But that's okay, because after all, apparently the rewrite cycle of this script was horrendous. Now... If you've been paying attention to my videos oh, going as far back as Voyager, which is when I first really started talking about this, regular rewrites and multiple drafts of scripts is very normal in television, even at this point in history. Back in uh, TOS, this was still a thing, too. Although TOS usually had closer to two or three rewrites instead of the six, or six to nine standard, which would become normal in the 80s, 90s, and aughts. So this, nevertheless, by several accounts, either had 10 to 12 rewrites, and all of them were just Roddenberry saying, no, change this, no, change this. Now, here's the deal. As both a creator and as someone who has asked people to create for him, I understand both sides of that equation. Sometimes it's just aggravating making every little dinky change that the customer asks for. I'm like, okay. And sometimes it's aggravating being like, well, it's not quite right. Can you change it just a little bit over here? I think this would work a little bit better. And you get the idea. I mean, anybody who's done any direction work at all probably knows exactly what that latter thing feels like. So I want to be understanding about this, but according to Koenig, he hated the entire experience. So when he was asked to do more scripts, he said, no, thank you. Then the casting thing happened. Then they sat down and were like, yeah, so we're not bringing you back. Now, it's worth noting that the exact timing of these events is questionable, we do know that by the time the episode was actually being worked on for the spec script, uh, Koenig had been informed that he was not going to be part of the main cast. So it's like, okay, no problem. He'll be given the job to go ahead and voice Caniculus. He'll, he'll be that character. And he was okay with that. But apparently there wasn't even enough money in the budget to hire Koenig for one episode. I don't know how true that is, but that is the statement that is told. So instead he got axed from that and do and did it like he does everything. So he didn't get to act in his own thing, didn't get to act in general, and hated the process of writing the episode. Don't blame him for coming, not coming back. Although apparently he's got some talent writing-wise. I actually don't know. I haven't read most of his stuff, so I can't speak to that. Now, why is all this relevant? Well, this episode sucks. <laughs> but why does it suck? Does it suck because Walter Koenig is not that good of a writer? Does it suck because of the rewrites, or is there some kind of both angle going on here? Let's go through it. So, plant people. Cool. Plant bats. Less cool. Can I just go ahead and say that I hate the screeching sound? 
I believe this is the third time now I've complained about a regular and repeated sound effect on this series, which is irritating to listen to and causes me actual discomfort to be repeat. Because, because it's not just that it's blah, you know, it's not just that it's the crying baby from Yoshi's Island. It's the fact that it's just, they just hit the note over and over and over again until by about the halfway point of the episode, I'm like, can you please shut the bats up? Please. <laughs> Now imagine that about 50 more times and you get the idea. But it's okay. It's okay. They help Sulu, which makes sense, given their whole philosophy of peace and all that. They don't actually want to kill anyone, after all. In fact, the only person they want to kill is Spock. And even that makes absolutely no sense and is never explained. The mold must be broken, even though there's no reason to do so. It makes me wonder if he would ritualistically kill his previous selves every time he cloned himself. Hmm. Now, there's something I want to pause to talk about here. One of the more interesting concepts of the episode is something that's mentioned as an aside. There's this bit where Caniculus showed up, probably Caniculus 4, maybe 3. They don't give a time frame. But one of the previous ones shows up and kills off all the plant people. Oh, not on purpose. (laughs) Quite the contrary. But, you see, disease happened. As anybody who has studied any kind of history will tell you, disease is what really determined a lot of human history and the flow of political power and capital by simple virtue of it being expressed and expanded upon groups of people who had never interacted with that particular or those particular types of diseases before. I mean, we can put this into the realm of fiction if we want to, because that's the whole point of... uh, Oh, I can't remember what it's called. The Invaders from Mars thing. You know, the, the classic tripods. And they're killed off by bacteria. You know you know what I'm talking about? Spoilers, sorry. Anyways, my point being, it's a very logical deduction. It's a very logical way for things to go. And it's an idea that is, to my knowledge, never really expressed or expounded upon in Star Trek other than a few specific things. And I'm not counting Balana's thoughts or emotions being a disease here. Instead, what we see is is the exact logical consequence. Someone unprepared, without the medical tech necessary, shows up and just unintentionally wipes out a people. We even hear that he worked very hard to save them and save the youngins from the diseases he unknowingly brought. So even someone who was arguably peaceful, arguably someone who didn't want this, nevertheless caused it. Wouldn't that be an interesting take to take on things? Granted, we have to take a lot of liberties when it comes to Trek or science fiction in general, but disease is one of those things that really probably should completely alter the galactic stage. And it doesn't. So it's just kind of cool to see it presented here. Anyways, so. I am Caniculus, and I am taking Spock. I have kidnapped you. Screech, screech. And now you must go. Like, like there's nothing wrong with just kidnapping someone. I love how blasé he is about it. Yeah, I kidnapped your friend. Go away. Dora, I'm letting you go, obviously. Here's your communicator. Have fun. Bye. You, you kidnapped... Yeah, go. Or also bring the bats back. And of course, Kirk doesn't want to hear that screeching anymore, so naturally he gets the hell out of there. Why, why is he giant? So, we find out that Caniculus was someone who was considered an outcast even amongst the eugenics people of the 90s, that of all of the warlords and mongering and superhuman things going on, Caniculus was the dude who was like, "Uh, you know, let's make a super race. And everyone else was like, no. (laughs) The eugenics people kicked this guy out. I want to stress that point. I'm reminded of Warlord Okir 
for God's sakes. You know, the idea that someone is like, no, we must have purity of essence, purity of thought, and he ends up making a protoss by accident. What? Why is Spock too giant? Why are the clones giant? They never answer this. This has bugged me for years. Why are they so big? Actually, I do have a thought on that. While we don't know the specifics of the rewrites that Roddenberry insisted upon, one of the things that Koenig has said in three separate interviews is that Roddenberry really wanted to push the animation angle, that he wanted to do things he could never do in TOS simply by virtue of the fact that animation. Okay, that actually makes sense. Um, the problem is, it seemed like he was looking at it from a simple perspective rather than a complex one. Just make changes for changes' sake rather than be allowed to do things because it'll make the show better. You know? <laughs> it's... it's, it's I, I have this weird tool over here. I should use it on this log. Is it supposed to be used on that log? Who cares? It's this new tool and I want to use it. I wasn't allowed to use it before. That kind of mentality. And that seems to be prevalent in a lot of the TAS stuff. And I've been reading about this a little bit. And several people seem to agree with it. So it sounds to me like the reason they wanted to emphasize... Because he mentions the plant people specifically. The reason for the plant people and the reason for the plant bats and the reason for the giants is because, well, we can do that. We can showcase giants. And this would also explain why that's never explained in the episode. Uh, So they use the weed spray, which works. Okay, that works. Then he has to drain the the, the mind to to uh, okay um what <laughs> he drains the person's mind into the device in order to to make the clone all right i i suppose there's a degree of logic that you know he can't duplicate the mind so he has to literally copy the mind wait a second you see why I just kind of scratch my head at this point? Then there's the fact that they they drain the ship's power to send a signal through the super dense material just so they could get across the extremely important exposition that this guy was trying to create a master race of peacekeepers, which he could have exposited upon himself. So good good way to keep the ship involved there and nearly kill, kill the ship, draining all the ship's power, sending out a super focused beam. I'm not even going to comment on that. If you sent a communication beam out like that, that would actually be a weapon at that point. Like, is there scarring on the temple? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. So, the peacekeepers idea. We need to have communities of peacekeepers. Okay, you know what? That actually makes a degree of sense. I've read Green Lantern. The, The catch here is, maybe this is why they need to be giant. Only a giant could maintain peace. Peace through power. Peace through... P- uh, sorry, sorry, wrong character. The point, though, is what? <laughs> I'm actually a little bit confused on this one. Although, this is when I have to talk about the bones of this episode and how there is the bones of a good story here. Oh, did you catch he mentions the the, uh, the Kazinti? Did you, did you notice that little reference there? They'll actually be showing up later. And, oh, God, I can't think of what the setting is called, but it's actually a reference to another person's fictional setting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but they mentioned that alongside the Klingons and the Romulans, so that's kind of neat. Moving on. This person, we have, a, we have cloning and a mad scientist who honestly just wants to improve society and make things better um, by virtue of you know, trying to improve the society and life that he left. 
But in isolation and distance for so long, he hasn't realized the fact that the peace he so often sought and sought to impose has simply been willingly accepted over time by people, thanks to logical progression of MLP's pattern into Star Trek Universe. So, that, that the bones of that story actually sound kind of legit and kind of interesting. It's just surrounded by a whole lot of, huh? There's, there's a classic tragedy to it. An irony, actually, might be a better word. It's all for nothing. The whole thing was unnecessary. If you think about the timing, it's entirely possible that this man, Caniculus, was actually around for the Romulan War. And by virtue of having been around for first contact with the Klingons, was, were, Klingons, oh my god, I can't believe it, the Klingons, uh, the Klingons was around for that as well. And thus he would be aware of both, as well as, of course, the devastating World War III and eugenics wars, which kind of overlapped into each other. So you can see the mindset there and why he would think this direction. Now, you remember how I mentioned that TAS is canon now? How long do you think these clones live? Better question. Do you think they kept cloning themselves? Because it's now canon that Spock 2 and Caniculus 5 are just hanging out tending the garden. So, like, is there, like, going to be a Spock 83? Like, Picard, the Picard show is going to have season 2 show up, and it's going to be like, hey... And then Spock 83 shows up and is like, hello, I am Spock 83. I have been tending these people's gardens for many, many years. And we are at last ready to join the galactic community. God, I hope not. I don't know what else to say about this episode. What would you do with this one? Like, I've kind of already said what I would do. Let's axe the bats. In fact, let's axe the, the vegetable people in general. There's really no reason for them to be there, to be completely honest. It doesn't add much to the episode. And most of the episode could be done trying to deal with Caniculus himself. And trying. we could focus more on the mystery in the first half. What the heck is going on? Why is there this weird place that seems to have power? And oh my god, where did Spock go? And then the second half could be more focused on the... Uh, well, I, I guess the, the, the threat of Caniculus himself, as he's like, no, I must, I'm so close. And maybe he's so driven at this point that he's, he's <sighs> frankly lost it, for lack of a better way to put it, especially if he's been here in isolation. And so now that he has finally found someone, he even lists out why Spock is the perfect specimen, the perfect peacekeeper, and actually Spock's a pretty good pick for that, so I'm with that. So he looks at Sp the idea of Spock and says, this is it, this is it. And you know what that feels like, don't you? When you're inches from it, something you've worked for for a long time, for years in some cases, and you're right there and it's just, yeah, finally, freaking finally, I'm going to finish this. No, no, you can't, no, listen, just give me, give me five more minutes, please. I just need, why are you trying to stop me? And you can see how the story could progress from that perspective. And it would also add to the tragic irony I mentioned earlier, because he's not actually antagonistic. We could even make it so that he has no intention of killing the original Spock, just eject that particular plot thread entirely and instead just make it that, you know, that he kidnapped Spock temporarily to clone him. Now, that's still bad, but it's a lot less worse than I'm going to murder Spock to make Spock 2. But, of course, Kirk and crew don't know that. And you could see how the episode would unfold there. That's probably how I would do this. How would you? I do hope to hear your thoughts in the comments, and I will see you next time.